can be found on page six of your bulletin. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will, be there, will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw the others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owners of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. When those who came who were hired first, so when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But we, each one of them also received a denarius. When they had received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he, ans but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Good morning to you. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. My name is Yancey. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're returning today to our parable series, the parables of Jesus, and we want to look at this passage of the eccentric employer. And you know, the parables are metaphors, they're illustrations that Jesus uses for the purposes of, of explaining God's will to us, what he means in his teachings. And they're sometimes hard to decipher. It's sometimes hard to understand. So we have to look at the context around them but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we know that God is able to lead us into his truth so that we can learn from him today. And with that, let's pray to him. Lord Jesus, you have been so kind to us, kind to allow your broken servant here to do your bidding. Will you show your mercy to your people today by opening ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to your beloved church? In your name, Jesus, and for your sake we pray. Amen. 
Amen. You know, I was thinking about my friend George this past week. You know, he became a Christian at a pretty young age, and he was a straight-laced kind of guy with uh, admitting shortcomings and guilt. He rose to permanence as a pastor almost immediately after seminary. You know, we can say that he nearly reaped a hundredfold of his work. God was so favorable to him in those early years. And so as I thought about him and some things that he shared with me and others, I remember him saying that he came to this point of a crisis, thinking that what I'm doing as a pastor is not really good enough. It's something that is not as attractive as being a doctor or an engineer or a a, a lawyer. It's not something that people, I feel like people look up to me in. And so he had this crisis and he was thinking about, is God really fair to have given me this call where this call is beginning to feel like nothing? Compared to other people, it feels like it's Less than? Is God really fair to have given me this call? It it seems off base and unfair. You may have had questions of the same about your career and calling or about some other things in your life. But still, the root of it is the same. Is God fair at times when we compare ourselves to others? And when we take a you know, quick look at a, at a tweet or a Facebook page of somebody else or an Instagram or we could look at others' careers or even others' neighborhood ministries, I wonder if this question begins to come up, this question of God's fairness to us. Certainly Peter and the disciples in this passage can relate. Even God himself can sympathize with our wrestlings and our grumblings and our, and our mumblings of heart. But God encourages us through this passage to indeed take heart. Because God's generosity extends to eternal life. So he not only fills our life here, but he also gives us the promise of the life to come. Peter, in verse 27 of chapter 19 here, he makes this bold, emphatic statement to Jesus. Look, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? The disciples had indeed left behind lucrative Christian uh, fishing uh, careers. You know, even Matthew was this prominent tax collector. He wasn't liked by a lot of people, though. And, and other things that they were doing, Jesus says, come and follow me. And they went with Jesus. And so you can see Peter here wrestling with this, God, we left everything behind. But what provoked Peter to make such a statement? And that's where the passage before comes in hand. So Jesus is in dialogue with a man who had great possessions, you know, rich, young ruler. He comes up to Jesus And he asked, teacher, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? You see where the focus is already, right? What I must do. And Jesus said, hey, if you would enter life, keep my commandments. Very simple, right? God's law, God's commandment. Keep those and be perfect. Particularly those uh, in terms of how you would love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know the story, he said, I've kept these 
all the days of my life. What do I still lack? And then Jesus steps in and Jesus gives him this rich young ruler, a high order. If you want to be perfect, if you want to mature, if you want to grow in the favor of God, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. See, right there, Jesus is saying, hey, go go and give your heart over to the things that God has in mind, the least of these. Then you will have treasure in heaven. But Jesus goes on further and he promises him eternal life as well. And so Jesus said, then come follow me. So when this man heard this, what do you think happened to this young man's heart? He had to do a quick evaluation of where he was. But when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And the disciples, you know, they said to Jesus said to the disciples, you know, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is talking about, you know, how hard it is for someone, anyone, whatever you're holding on to, whatever the riches may be in your life, how hard it is to look at those things and think, that's my ticket. That's not the way of God. And so the disciples, when they heard this, they were greatly astonished because this guy had it all together and clearly had been blessed by God, right? Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Man does not have the power to save himself. He does not have the power to live the life of maturity and growth and favor that only God's can give. He does not have the power. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, he has the power for all things to make all things come according to his will. And so Jesus made it clear that only God has power to give life. So in light of this truth, we see Jesus leading us and leading his disciples and to send the promise of God here. And then later on, we'll look at the parable of the eccentric master and God's privilege of grace. But right now, these promises that Jesus has made to these disciples that are wondering, God, you know, what are you doing with us? You know, how can we be saved? And we see here that Jesus, he promises that they will reign with him. You see in verse 20, 28 there of chapter 19. So Jesus tells them at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus has his mind fixed on the restoration of all things when he shall return one day. And he said, after this renewal, when I sit on my glorious throne, even Jesus is looking forward to what God would do to glorify him. He said, you who have followed me, the 12 before me now, you will sit on 12 thrones. You will be with me in leadership, leading the people of God. We don't know what that will be like, 
But we know there will be some leadership, not necessarily judging because of sin, for sin will not be at the restoration of all things. So this has to be some type of leadership and responsibility that he will give them. So he promises that you, you will reign with me. The second thing Jesus promises here, he says, you will reap a hundred times as much in this life. And we do see that in verse 29. He said, everyone who has left, he answers Peter's question. You know, we left everything. He said, everything, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father a mother or wife or children or fields or land for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. What is Jesus getting at here? He's saying, hey, when you're close to me, when you're following close to me, things will happen. Your life will be enriched. Things will happen where you will begin to reap the rewards of being close to me. You will not fail to receive a hundred times as much of relationships, people that are close to you in your life. You will not fail to receive things that you need. But you know, sometimes we feel lacking, don't we? We feel like, Jesus, this is not, the essence of this doesn't feel right for my life. It doesn't look like a hundredfold. But Jesus is talking about staying close to him. He says, doing this for my sake. Then you will see the value of following me. So it, it may not be what you're thinking of in terms of what you will receive. But what I promise I will give to you. You will reap. You will have an abundance of life. And Jesus promises this. And the next thing that he promises here is indeed eternal life in verse 29 there as well. And you will inherit eternal life. And so he's speaking of the inheritance that he will win for them, not the one they will win for themselves. And, you know, we do have the spirit. Jesus has given the spirit as the deposit guarantee in our inheritance. That's how we know that we belong to Jesus. That's how we know that we are to follow him closely by his spirit, the one who leads and guides us into the truth. And, and we see here as well in John 17 that eternal life that Jesus promises is that we may know the Father and that we may know Jesus Christ in whom he has sent. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus and being known by God and being known by Jesus. And Jesus said, this is all for my name's sake, that I, I may receive the glory and, you know, God showed Peter what he could do. That was a time in Peter's life when Jesus was calling him, when he was first calling him. Jesus showed up on the shores. The boats were there because he was a fisherman. And, and, and John and James were there fishing as well. And so Peter had been out all night trying to bring in a load of fish, trying to provide for himself. And so Jesus says, cast to the other side. And, and, you know, being a professional fisherman, he's like, I, I know what I'm doing here. I've cast off to that side. There's nothing there. And Jesus said, cast to the other side. And he did. And there were so many fish that the nets began to break. There were so many fish that, that 
both, he had to call in his partners and say, hey, come, bring your boats because we have so many fish. And they loaded up not one, but two or three boats because Jesus, you see, he promises an abundance. And that's not the depth of the abundance. The depth of the abundance is, is the life that he wants to give with him, that you can profess his name. So Jesus gives us the hope of his promises here. And he says here, lastly, you know, many that are first will indeed be last, and many who are last will be first. He's given this warning to them because Peter is in this place where he's thinking, hey, I'm, I'm like the rich young, young ruler. I'm in the kingdom, yes. I'm close to you, Jesus, yes. I've been following you, but I'm wondering too, what, what, you know, what's going to be my reward? And so Jesus has to warn him, hey, look, there's a warning here. You think you're first, you're going to be last. And many who are last will be first. And Jesus states this at the end of uh, at, in, in verse 16 here, at the end of the passage, in reverse order. And so this is a lesson that he wants to teach us through this parable of this eccentric master. So let's take a look at this parable here. And so as we begin reading here in, in verse 1, we see that Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So this master of the, of the house, this landowner, is going about seeking people to come and work in his vineyard. It's probably harvest time, so he's going out seeking people. So we look at the early workers. You know, Jesus goes out and he seeks them early in the morning, let's say 6 o'clock. Then he goes out mid-morning to seek more people. And at noon, and then in the afternoon, he seeks more people. And we see that he, you know, the, the common thing that's happening here is that he decided. He decided to go out to seek people. And he also decided to pay them a wage, giving to them what is fair, what is right. And he said to all of them, go to my vineyard and do the work. That was the deal. So these early workers, they took off and they began to work for this landowner. And so we we see here also that in the 11th hour that the landowner went out to seek workers for his vineyard as well. And, you know, at this point, you know, you you begin to think the 11th hour, five o'clock. He's going out seeking people to work. I mean, by that time, all the work has been done, right? I mean, they only have one hour to work. And the story kind of takes a twist here. It says about the 11th hour, you know, he goes out. He still finds others standing around. And he asks them, why are you standing here, you know, all day and doing nothing? And they say, because no one has hired us. He said, go and work in my vineyard. And so the idea here, here is these, these last workers, you know, are the seemingly unworthy. They're the seemingly ones that were picked last. Anybody ever been picked last on a sports team or last to the ball or last in some way? I mean, how do you feel when you're picked last? You kind of do feel insignificant. You feel left out. 
You feel, oh, you just want me because you don't have anybody else to pick from, you know? That's what it feels like at times when we're picked last. You feel insignificant and not worthy. And so he picks these 11th hour workers. And so we see here now, even an hour later, we're at evening. And the owner, he comes and he, he tells the foreman, you know, to go and pay them their wages. And so the, in the story at this point, the tension is beginning to mount for the disciples. They're beginning to think, whoa, this is kind of different. This is odd in the century here because the tension is mounting. The master called the last workers first. Strange, right? There are workers who have been working all day long, and now he calls these last workers to pay them. And then he goes on, and he pays the workers that came at 3, then at 12, then at 9 in the morning, then, and on and on until he came to the first workers of the day. And when he came to them, they received it. They began to grumble against the landowner. Because they received the same thing that everybody else received. A denarius. And after seeing these workers who come at the 11th hour receive the same thing that they received. You know, they were set up to expect more in their own hearts, right? Because they're thinking, I've worked hard here. And if he gave that to them and we've worked the hardest, what will we receive? Even more. So they began to grumble when they saw that they received the same thing. And they complained. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They began to grumble in their hearts against them. And, you know, I get this. Because it just seems unfair when I'm thinking of what I deserve. When I think that I've done more than anybody else, I measure myself up against my fellow laborers. And I think, yeah, I, I, just, I deserve more than them, more than they have received here. And so I put myself in a place over them as if I'm better than them. And that's the argument that we have at times. You know, we begin to think that it's by my good works that I'm saved or that I prosper or that I do well. And we forget that, man, God has been with us all along the way. When we first started out, you know, in our career of choice, we're working hard. We're hitting the grindstone. Things are happening. But we also are. You know, a lot of us have prayed a whole lot in the beginning as well. God, would you bless this work? God, would you bless my co-workers? Would you make this place a light even through me? God, will, you, will your glory be in this place? But after a while, we forget, don't we? We forget that God has been gracious even to us, even in our accomplishments. We get to a place where we feel like we're indispensable in life. I know I felt that. The pride has crept in, and I think I'm safe. I'm safe. And all the while, my heart has been drifting from the Lord. 
But see, you know, God longs to show his generosity. And we have to know that his show of generosity is not because of our accomplishments. So instead of envying after other people, we have to look to God ourselves and say, God, you have been fair. You have given what you have promised to give me. God, you have been gracious here. The third thing I want, to, I want us to look at is how this passage show us how God has been gracious to us. You know, it's a privilege of God that he will pour out his grace upon us. And so we began to look at what we can learn about the character of God and the point Jesus is making through this message. So the one of the first things that we learn here is that God is good. And God does, you know, he treats no one unfairly, right? In verse 13 here we see, he, but he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. And of course, you know, we, we think about the fact that God is not a man that he should lie, Right? Nor, nor son of man that he should change his mind. mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So God's ways are above our ways. He treats no one unfairly, though. We can never say that of God. You know, one scholar highlights this, and he puts it this way. If God gives something to you but not to me, we're prone to accuse him of being unfair. To be precise, The complaint touches only one aspect of fairness. God always gives everyone retributive justice, what we deserve before the law. In that sense, God is always fair. But he does not treat everyone exactly the same way. That is, the Lord does not always show or practice his distributive justice. He does not distribute identical favors to everyone. He does not treat everyone the same way. No two people have the same body or mind, the same home or friend or nation. But as the Lord gives gifts, he gives less that we deserve. He never gives less than we deserve. That's the point. Never giving us less than what we deserve. There's no place for fault finding. There's no place for you know, blaming God for things. But sometimes that's what we do in our hearts. And Jesus is teaching the disciples to say, hey, look, God has promised you an abundance. Stay close to him. The second thing is God is indeed generous. He's a generous God. He's generous to those who deserve nothing. And and God wants to give to his children. In verse 14, we we see here in this story you know, the, the, the master saying, I want to give the man who was hired last the same I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? He has the right. And I can't think of anybody else who has the right to give what he desires. And so we are not to envy his generosity. And so it's not envying others. It's more of us having a problem with what God is doing. 
and then what, what others are doing. And we see this type of grumbling and where it comes from. It's come from this idea of being entitled of what we believe we ought to have. It also comes from this place of not being grateful for what God has done in our lives. And it leads us to experience suffering based on our perception. It's like, woe is me. And sometimes I'm having this pity party. You know, no one else is going through this. It might be so. No one else is, 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 is suffering like I am. It might be so. But I have to look to God. And look at how he has been generous and will be generous to me. And so he loves to give good gifts to his his children. And God is indeed the giver of life. All believers, all believers receive the same gift. And what's that gift? It's eternal life with the Lord. It's eternal life with him. Level at the cross. Between all of us, all of us will have eternal life. All of us will make it into the kingdom because of what Christ has done on the cross. But see, the last will be first and the first will be last. That's the warning here that we get. But we have to understand that God never treats his people unfairly. He never treats the seemingly less deserving people with with the utmost generosity and God treats all believers equally. So we see the lessons that are learned here that we are to delight in God's care over us, embrace the grace that he gives and celebrate his accomplishments in us. And we are indeed warned in this story as the disciples are. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And and you know, I like this, you know, one, when I was reading, one scholar put it like this. He said, uh, Jesus is telling us this, and take this to heart. Beloved, I warn you that you can lose your joy in my grace. Even you who love me can meditate briefly on me and dwell long upon your works and rewards. When you do, you risk becoming last in the kingdom. Last because you have fallen away from me. You see what's going on here? We can move away and begin to drift away from the fellowship of the Lord to where Jesus says, my sheep know me. They listen to my voice. But when we're back here, you know, we can't hear his voice to instruct us where we should go. Which voice will we listen to at that point? Our own. So he's saying, don't drift away. Come close. Come close. Continue to be first with me, the one who was last on your behalf, the one who suffered for you on the cross, became nothing so that you can be first with me, the firstborn of the dead. Be first with me, the first to run into the Father's arm, the first to celebrate the joy that we have in the Father's generosity to show us grace and to give us life and accomplish a hundred times as much as we're close to him, even eternal life. That's the promise of God for us today. Can we live in, in this by the power of the Holy Spirit? Can we do it with Jesus giving us strength to do it? We must not drift away and forget about our gracious Savior. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus.
You're so kind. You show us favor upon favor. There may be hearts here that have forgotten that. You have reminded us today how much we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.